Welcome to To The Point Cybersecurity Podcast. Each week, join Eric Trexler and Rachel Lyon to explore the latest in global cybersecurity news, trending topics, and industry transformation initiatives impacting governments, enterprises, and our way of life. Now, let's get to the point. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of To The Point Podcast. I'm Rachel Lyon, here with my co-host, Eric Drexler. Eric, how are you? Good morning, Rachel. I'm well. I'm well. I spent the entire weekend frozen at an ice rink for a hockey tournament with my kid. We got back at 10 p.m. last night, but... Wow. I'm well. How about you? What was you? the outcome? I, well, oh, they lost. Good. I'm in warm Houston. It's, you know, like 70 something degrees. The sun's out. The peacocks are happy. I mean, would still be know, cold in an ice rink? Trust me. It was, uh, yeah. they got second place. It, it was, it was good. That's it was good. literally the entire weekend. That's a long time. In a, it was a long in an ice time. Rink. I feel like those yeah. two days are never coming back. But anyway. But anyway, that's not what we're here to talk about. It is not. <laughs> what are we talking about today? Who are we meeting? Well, today we've got Rich Eatry. He is the Chief Innovation Officer at ECI joining the podcast. Rich, hello. Welcome. Well, Hi, we were talking welcome. before we got on, uh, <laughs> 24-ish years, uh, technology side of financial services industry. I can't even imagine all the things that you've seen in that time, how it's evolved and changed. And it, it just seems like it would be really, really fascinating. It is. It's it's crazy when when I think back, like when I first got out of college, right, as a developer, you know, working, you know, kind of you know, at that point, you know, computers were still kind of, you know, trying they were trying to yes. figure out how to align technology with the business, right? And it was really driving a lot of kind of market innovation and and so on and how fast right. like, you know, things have evolved. Right. To look at, you know, now like, you know, computers we had back yes. then, we had these big trading, you know, desktops. I mean, they, they basically were like the size of televisions. Now, like you probably <laughs> get the same compute off of your phone. Right. It's it really is amazing how how things have evolved, you know, around then, uh, yes. you know, and also like, you know, the big monitors and stuff. But, but in general, just how digital technology overall has really kind of helped, I think, drive financial markets, especially over the last you know, 10 years, how, you know, automation, trading algorithms, you know, being able to develop out data science programs. You know, I remember kind of, you know, working on large database projects and like just being able to kind of capture, you know, a terabyte worth of data and being able to move it around. Now nothing. a terabyte's yeah. kind of like, it's, it's nothing, right? You know, but back then to be able to, to analyze a terabyte worth of data could, could have taken <laughs> like, Rich, you I'm know, with six you. months. Right? So it's, uh, it's yeah, just very, I remember very I was at EMC now. in 2000 so. and we sold, we were selling uh, symmetric storage and it, a terabyte array was a, was over well over a million dollars, and I have uh, I have forty eight terabytes on my array at home yeah. right now, which was not a, over a million dollars. Let's put it that way. <laughs> it's crazy how it's changed, and we didn't no. think about cybersecurity in the same way back then. Uh, no, 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 we didn't. I think um, you know I was telling someone the other day. I remember in um, two thousand eight, we were replacing some firewalls at. The firm I was at, and they were kind of more modern firewalls. You could log traffic and and do some different things, and and we replaced them more right. to be able to handle connectivity, increase kind of bandwidth, and the security stuff was great. It was kind of like a side thing, right? And then my team comes in the office one day, like Rich, you know, 
look at these logs. Like we got activity coming from China. We got activity coming from Russia. We got activity coming from like the ball. Like we don't even know where this is coming from, but they were trying to get it, you know? And I'm like, I was like, wow, sitting at my desk, it really kind of began to resonate with me. Like, you know, the threats, you know, that are out there. Like back then we used to think it was more malware, right. You know, or, you know, emails being sent around and not really that external perimeter, right. was something that you, you saw attacked. And now I look at that, and I mean, that happens almost every minute of every day, right? right? For, for most financial service companies, you see block traffic like that all the time, right? It's, it's almost uh, the norm. So just in the last like 10 years, how that has evolved um, has been, it, it's really crazy to kind of see how, how the, the threat landscape has just gotten so much more complicated and Evolved. So much more, you know, you know, driving of risk for, for, for companies, right? The, the financial mm-hmm. risk for organizations have never been greater. Yeah, on, I, I on always the picture the side. 90s of John, Mac, uh, John McAfee running around, you know, with a shotgun over his shoulder, killing, McAfee, killing malware. And, and where, we've, uh, where we've gotten to, it's, <laughs> it's incredible. There's a good book. I don't know if you ever read it, The, uh, the Cuckoo's Egg. It was, uh, I think it's Cliff Stoltz. Stoltz is the last name, but he he talks about Department of Energy and how they had a nation state attack them. And nobody, nobody knew what to do. Nobody even accepted that there was a nation state attacking them. It's, I want to say the timeframes of the early mid nineties, but it puts you, it's, it's an interesting read, but it puts you in the mindset of that era. And Mm -hmm. it's a very different time period than today. Today, I mean, Mm. You meet someone on the street and they have a, an opinion yeah. on cybersecurity. Back then, <laughs> yeah. even the experts really didn't think yeah. about it. Yeah. No, they didn't. And I, and I think, you know, when, when you look at, you know, the financial markets today, the systemic risk that cybersecurity creates for everyone, right. you know, we're all investors in some form, right? 401ks, like, you know, pensions and, and so on. Like that's, you know, th- th- you know, that's our savings, right? Whether, you know, your checking accounts, whatever it might be, you know, security has never been more more paramount, right? For for us as, as I have citizens, to tell you, Rich, the cash is safe things... under the mattress. Exactly. Oh, ahead, well, Rachel. that's what I was about to say because I, I, you know, like when you have kind of an existential, you know, kind of crisis at three a.m. and you can't sleep, and you think about everything as kind of ones and zeros, and um, you know, everything could be wiped out. And then I think about my my grandmother, my father's side. She had hundreds of thousands of dollars, like in the walls of her home. Like she wouldn't turn the air on. She wouldn't turn the lights on. But hundreds of thousands of dollars, like stuffed in the walls <laughs> of her home. Um, and I'm kind of wondering, maybe she was onto something, Rich. I don't know. I mean, am I am I getting a little paranoid here? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe a little paranoid, but like you know, I, I think the premise, I think the premise behind it was not wrong in in that you know you you want what's most important to you close to you right at all times. You want to be able to know where it is. You want to be able to to see it and and be able to get to it. I think it's it's because it's gotten a lot harder right. these days it's a lot to, harder to, to, to get to live somebody like put that, drywall right? up these. You know, days. you need that kind of digital. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. That is true. Like just to kind of bury that kind of cash. I don't know if you could even do that. And then, and then exactly. they probably want to be via Venmo, right? So then I know, you these would, cashless you know. stores now, that's a real problem. <laughs> is I that why trouble. you moved into your grandmother's house? <laughs> yeah. It's a different grandma. It's a different uh, grandma. Yeah. So, yeah, so Rich, I, I cut you off though. Please finish. On terms of the, uh, yeah, you know, look, I think, you know, 
everything we do, right, revolves around, you know, some mm-hmm. sort of, you know, digital technology. You, you can't really avoid it. Like even, even the pandemic really drove everything right. to right. cashless, right, exchanges. So you go into most stores now, exactly. like they don't even take cash anymore. You know, most of the airports and the stores there don't even take it. You know, we, we talked about Venmo. The person who walks your dog doesn't even want cash, right? Because they have a card linked to Venmo. They want to get paid via, via Venmo or, or PayPal or, or some of these other tools. So it's hard to even operate in society today without having some touch points to, you know, digital technology, linking of bank accounts and, and credit cards and, and so on. So it's, uh, it's definitely gotten tougher, which is why it's even more important that, you know, companies really focus on on, you know, cyber. And, you know, I think like the new SEC regulations is a really good example of that, right? Where the SEC is finally threw the gauntlet down and said like, look, enough's enough. We've made recommendations over the years. Some of you have adopted them. A lot of you haven't. So rather than, you know, saying the recommendations, we're going to say that it's policy and we're going to be very prescriptive around what best practices are because, we're we're here to protect you know the markets as well as investors right there's a lot of a lot of people have money tied up in pensions and 401ks that are traded through these organizations on a, on a daily basis right yeah. and and they need to be looked out yeah, for it's, it's a really good point it, it's a really good point because not only was your grandmother not earning interest getting the ability to spend that money was becoming a lot more difficult right as the economy changes as the world changes but as we put more electronically I worry about it all the time. What, what mm-hmm. if somebody, uh, you know, wants to uh, wipe out the bank records? You know, we'll probably exactly. talk about wipers. We've been talking about wipers a yeah. lot and ransomware. What happens when yeah. the bank can't restore yeah. from a backup? What happens when you didn't print something out and your latest account statement is not there? At a minimum, right. it's a nightmare to deal with. A minimum, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you know, look, Wiper and and some of these other kind of malwares are just getting more and more sophisticated, you know, very challenging to kind of counteract. Um, But I think it's even important, you know, a lot of this stuff comes down to like good IT hygiene, like backups you kind of mentioned, you know, there's ways to kind of, you know, do good backups, right? There's ways to kind of air gap things. There's ways to, you know, manage data, you know, correctly, but you got to invest in the right kind of technology and have the right, you know, people around you to kind of build out the the right framework to be able to manage it. And I think companies always take a kind of risk, you know, based approach. So what's the risk of this happening and what is it going to cost me to actually like close the gap, right? right? That cost factor is always a big deal. And they say, well, the chances of it happening are low. The cost is high. Exactly. We're going to kind of like roll the dice, right? And I think... You know, and who who does that put at risk? It puts us right at risk. You know, in terms of you know, making those kind of risk based now, does decisions the new, when it comes to the cost. new SEC is it a proposal or a mandate at this point? It's still in draft. It's a okay. proposal. It's in comment period. I think the yeah yeah it's still in draft. I think they're going to have comments done. You know, I think by the end of April. But, you know, I think it's it's kind of the, right. the themes in there I don't think are going to change. I think there is a little bit of, you know, there's some gray areas on how they define certain terms, but it's very prescriptive in terms of what they expect, you know, organizations to be doing. Um, 
you know, now they're, they're also trying to make a very business alliance. So they're saying, look, you know, some organizations you might have, you know, 10,000 employees and you might have billions of dollars under, you know, management. We're going to expect you to be doing, you know, more or different things right. than maybe a smaller private wealth advisor who's managing maybe, you know, a billion dollars and has got, you know, 20 or 30, you know, employees or so. Um, or you might be a firm that's, you know, trading, you know, high frequency. We're going to expect you to be doing different things than a, a long, short firm with 10 people who are trading maybe 50 trades, you know, a day. But they are very kind of prescriptive in the things they're expecting you to do, the types of technologies, right, they expect you to have in-house and the types of risks they, they want you to mitigate. Um, it was very interesting in kind of reading it through, like they get into concepts, right. you know, like identity and access mm -hmm. management, know your data, things that you know, have always kind of stood around the outside of, of, of their recommendations. They've almost kind of pulled them in um, there. And I think like those are some things where you know, organizations are really going to have to rethink not right. just technology, but business processes. So who could access what data? How's that data updated? You know, we need to change permissions. Okay, what does that do, right? How does that affect systems downstream and, and other types of things? Um, there were some other interesting things in there too. One was, you know, around, mm -hmm. um, you know, third parties. So very big in financial services is right. to outsource things to, to third parties, especially larger organizations who have grown, you know, so quickly. Um, you know, as we were talking about earlier, you know, the markets have really exploded in the last five years and firms have really kind of grown tremendously, a lot of financial firms. And they've used third parties to help kind of gain scale and outsource, whether it right. be technology or, or, or services. And in the the SEC proposal, they were very kind of clear around, look, you could outsource the function, but you can't outsource right. the responsibility. You are responsible for having procedures, technologies to be able to run your business away from those providers. You need to have them well-documented um, and you need to test them on a regular basis and show proof of testing, right? So I think, you know, they're, they're saying like, look, you can't say, you know, that this provider was down and that's a good enough reason why like your investors couldn't get their statements. Like that's not good enough. You need a way to prepare that statement aware away from them and be able to give the investor information accurately to them. And you need to have that documented and tested on a regular basis. And I think that that's one item I saw in there, which it's known throughout the industry, right? That you could outsource the the function but not the responsibility. But I think to call it out was was very interesting. The other thing I thought was interesting, and I think this will really help kind of drive some of these changes forward, is they're creating accountability yep. at the board and director level. So, you know, anytime you want to implement change, you want to start with a tone from the top and making the independent directors and the board responsible for cybersecurity now, calling it out, telling them what they need to be overseeing, the responsibilities mm -hmm. they have as a director over cyber, I think will, is really going to create that accountability to kind of drive some of this change throughout the organizations, right? I think, was it 2009 when the SEC passed, um, right after the market crash, they passed some new risk regulations and they, they kind of, again, filtered it through, you know, the independent directors and the board. And that changed fundamentally how like risk reporting analytics were done and, and kind of what changed at the, at the board and independent director level. And I think now making it, you know, part of that framework 
um, is really going to help drive some of this change forward. Because look, I think this is great change, right? I, I think that this is really when I look at what they have here, these are all the things that I talk to clients about on a regular basis that they should be doing. This is all best practices. It's all very reasonable to be asking these firms to do. Um, and it's about time, like we really kind of, right. you know, force some change, right? And and really get rid of those kind of gray areas um, that might have existed before. What are you hearing from, you know, as you're consulting, as you're, as you're advising clients, how are they responding to this proposal? They're like, I mean, right away, right. a lot of people, like, what does this mean to my business? Like, how how close do I align with it? Like, where are my gaps? Like, is there, like, what's the ramp-up period going to be? Because, look, mm -hmm. you know, there will be a ramp-up period. They're not, once it's right. finalized, they're not going to kind of walk in and say, okay, you, you know, we're going to now audit you on all of these things. But I think firms are genuinely concerned now, you know, like, how they line mm -hmm. up um, and what gaps they might have and how they can go about, you know, closing them. Um, so already talking about like, Hey, can, right. can we do an assessment and things like that? And, and I think it's something that once, you know, the comment period is, is over and things are finalized that, you know, we'll probably mm -hmm. start doing it's, a lot it's more. It's funny off. when the, uh, so. the Biden executive order came out last May, um, they gave 60 days to have a kind of a plan together, I think is the way they looked at it. Every agency blew through that. I, I, I bet there, I bet there are very few that have a plan yeah. even today. The nice thing is they're they're giving time. The SEC yeah. is giving yeah. time here right. to get up to speed. I, I think there is, but I, I think they're going to be right. less patient, like with this, right? And I think, look, you know, if you look at the the threat landscape, you know, with you know Russia and and Ukraine, right? That only incre you know increased the risk by you know almost tenfold overnight. Um, I think that ramp up period is probably going to be a lot right. you know shorter than it traditionally was. Um, because I think, too, you know, the expectation was that they were making recommendations over the years and firms were kind of taking them, mm -hmm. right, and, and trying to implement them. I think this this change kind of came out of, you know, one, definitely the Biden administration and trying to be kind of tougher on cyber. And I think the SEC has seen over the last like three to four years as they go in and do, you know, audits and exams that people aren't really listening mm -hmm. to the recommendations. And I think this is... So, so they're going to look, I don't know if the ramp up period is going to be as long as it, it was on some of the other things, but they'll certainly be. And, and that's be talking about financial so. institutions, which are reportedly the best protected out right. there. Yes. From a critical infrastructure perspective. Yeah. They are. And look, you know, yeah, 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 I mean, it is critical infrastructure, right? When you think about it. Yeah. I mean, the, you know, the collective, right, of kind of hedge funds and financial institutions out there you know, the amount of money that flows through the markets every day, if that were to get disrupted in any kind of way, meaningful right. way, it could cripple, you know, the, you know, the economy. Right? Uh, yeah. <laughs> to say, to say the least. I mean, to me, it's, it's, it is the most critical of yeah. critical infrastructure. Yes. hundred percent. Yeah. Which okay. is, yeah. I think one of the things too, in this SEC proposal, there's an amendment about, you know, uh, cyber incident reporting, which is everyone's favorite topic. Um, you know, what, what, what's enough time and who do you, who do you give the, the report to? And, and I think the, the last number I saw was what, four days uh, to report a cyber incident. I mean, how are you feeling about that number, Rich? Is that enough time for financial services organizations to, to have something to report or to have it together? I mean, it's, what's the impact of something like that? Well, you know, that that was one of the interesting things in the 
proposal that I saw, which was, I think there, there was two pieces in there and they actually spent a lot of time in, uh, in the document kind of going through this. One was that there's this gray area that's always existed yes. around what should I report and what shouldn't I report? The reality is like, you know, many firms have had some cyber incidents and as long as it didn't infect, right. affect investors directly and they can carry the cost of that on their balance yeah. sheet, they just paid. So if someone wired someone money by mistake and, you know, they could just foot the cost of $2 million off of their balance sheet. They mm, did. Right. And they just kind of moved on. Right. They, they never reported it. And I think the SEC is like, no, like not anymore. Like that has to get re reported irrespective of the size. Like, so they're really being mm. very kind of specific now around the, the reporting end. The time to report, I mean, it's certainly aggressive, um, but I think they're like, look, you don't have to have everything in hand. You have to report that there was an issue and share as much information that you have at the time. I mean, it, it's certainly aggressive because, look, you know, having been, you know, you know, CTO for a number of years on, you know, for various financial service companies, you you always want to make sure before you report anything, especially to the regulators, right. you want to make sure you have all the facts. Right. And you want to make sure that you've flushed everything out. You don't want it to look like you're you've approached this in a haphazard way that, you know, you've done you, you've, you know, checked everything. And look, systems are complex mm -hmm. today. You know, they cross platforms. Everyone is probably in a hybrid cloud form, multi-cloud. Um, you know, there's multiple systems that could be affected data, you know, to kind of gather and be able to do that. That assessment is is challenging. Um, on the other hand, right. if they don't throw the gauntlet down and, and draw a right. line in the sand, it, it can go on forever. So I think it's, I mean, that's one area where um, uh, mm -hmm. I think there's probably some room for for movement. And I think at some point they'll probably define types of incidents, right? And, you know, a, a reporting timeframe for, for those. Uh, but I think it's good right. that they're actually forcing the issue now. Um, you know, to allow them to get an idea of the risk across the financial organizations, the types of risks they could begin to pattern things, and maybe over time help alert. You know, so there's a lot of member organizations right. where people could share threat intel and other things. But when it comes right. to incidents, no one really wants to talk about them. Right? Like you're not going to share that with a kind of you know um, right. a professional organization or, yeah. or even your peers. So. You know, kind of building that. So, Rich, I'm interested. You know, kind of would you move the time frame out more than four days? I, I would look at the types of incidents, the size okay. of the organization, and the complexity, and I would kind of, I would make it more of a scale than I would like just a hard. Anything needs to be reported. I think also too in there, there's a little bit of ambiguity around. They try and kind of define like what's a significant incident and and what has to get reported, but there is still a lot of vagueness. In there, that, that I think that was needs my next get, question. You know, flushed you have some out. sixteen-year-old kid, um, you, look, yeah. you know, trying to, uh, you know, you know, break into an account or steal someone's credentials. Do you report that now? If you have a massive DDoS attack from, uh, you know, the the, the uh, Chinese government or something, do you, do you do you report that? Like, how do you delineate between right. an event? And normal course of business because right. you have attacks as you as we were talking about earlier in the day. I mean, you're probably getting hundreds of thousands of attacks attempts every day. So right. is it a breach or how do they categorize that? Yeah, it's you know they they use the word um, significant a lot, and I think like they're using it in the context of like how does it impact mm -hmm. you know your your business. 
So, you know, look, there's malware threats like every day, like someone clicks a bad website, they open up an Excel sheet with a bad macro, like as long as that is like isolated, right, and remediated, um, there's probably no need to report that. Now, if that Excel sheet opened up and sent out a thousand emails to everyone in your contact list, like even though like that might have been, you know, a low level risk to the company, like you were able to notify those individuals, it was just a malicious link. Like that is probably a significant event and, and you need to report it. Whereas others might argue like, well, it wasn't really significant. There was no financial loss. It didn't impact investors. So I think there's going to be a little bit of that kind of you know, being worked out. Certainly anything on the DDoS side would fall into the significant bucket. Um, anything with a nation state would certainly fall into, into that as well. Um, I think anything in fe- you know, affecting investor data, so any of your investor information getting you know leaked or compromised, and not only from your systems, but right. systems that your third parties that you contract to use as well. I think that's the other kind of key piece is that it's going to create accountability for a lot of the third party providers, you know, as well, because they're always weary about reporting things and trying to find, you know, that that gray mm-hmm. area themselves because they don't want to get fired, right? And if they if they report that you know they had an issue but no data got out, it's still going to make mm-hmm. you second guess the issue, and you're probably going to go look before something bigger happens right. to move your information. Okay, off so of I have, their I have a question, and my government side of my mind is is going crazy right now. What is the S? So they have to report to the SEC and probably and probably CISA, right? Yes. Yeah, they have to report to the SEC. And then, you know, depending on the event, it has to go to the so FBI. So what is the government you know, well, doing typically. with these enhanced reporting requirements to beef up their workforce to be able to handle these event reports? I, I just imagine massive amounts of data flowing into yeah. horribly overburdened bureaucratic organizations with very limited cybersecurity. I mean – I'll give the FBI, I don't want to give a grade because I'll probably lose business, right? But they're decent, but they're, you know, they're, they're not, <laughs> you know, they're not staffed for American cybersecurity protection. CIS is probably the best from a capabilities and staffing perspective. And I've got to imagine the SEC is horribly um, unprepared for this, but maybe, I hope I'm wrong. Well, like, yeah. Well, look, like, like everything the SEC does, they have a form for it. I forget yeah. what the name of the form is. It's in the document that you have to fill out and file. And then where that form goes <laughs> is, is, you know, it could end up in, uh, in a database and who's actually kind of, right. you know, looking at it and, and, and reviewing those. I, I think at some point there will be, you know, they're going to have to staff up, you know, that, you know, that part of their program. You, you could see that over the last several years, they've really been trying to like add quality staff on the cyber side. So pulling people from business, right, who have worked at big banks and in the, you know, alternative investment industry to kind of help them, you know, not just with like handing the volume of stuff coming in, but also around like what is best practices? Like what is it OK to be holding people accountable for things like this and what risk does it represent well, that's to, where my to mind those goes. businesses? So. 
But Eric, look, you're you're spot on. Yeah, you're you're spot on. I I don't know. I'm sure they're they're probably staffing up for it, but uh, you know, there's definitely a form for it, and it's yeah, going to be yeah, locked no, somewhere in at, a database. I, I worked at the so. SEC doing database work back in the '90s. It was my first uh, client consulting gig, and, and those databases are pretty long in the tooth, but they have a lot of data in them. <laughs> they have a lot of data. <laughs> a lot of data I just, yeah. I don't know what they would do. Okay, Bank of America. <laughs> so uh, you've been, you've had four hundred and fifty-two million records stolen. Like, where does the conversation with the SEC and Bank of America go after that? I, I can understand some of the the uh, potential well, risk concerns that an, a financial institution would have around disclosure. Right. Right. Because it's all downside. Hey, we've had a right. breach. What what was yeah. breached? This. What are you doing about it? Here's what we're doing about it. Yeah. At that point, I suspect the conversation mm-hmm. gets a little wonky when you're talking to uh, a uh, you know the government side. Hopefully, I'm wrong. Yeah. Well, look, I think when it's like Bank of America, when it's something big, when it, when it's one of the large banks, right, and a breach of size, like the FBI or is going to be yeah. like running point yeah. on that. Um, yeah, or, or CISA, right? I, I think where where you're going to run into like the smaller organizations by them like re- reporting it, like well, like right. what are they really going to do with that? Are they going to look to say, okay, did you notify investors? Like, like what are they going to do with that like information? Because again, like the premise behind this is to protect investors, right? Part of it, right? The other part is the markets. So, like, you know, are you going to make sure firms, you know? notified their investors, right. like they're remediating the issue, right? So now are you going to go in and do an audit and say, okay, like you had this application open to the internet. Why was it open to the internet? Like, show me how you know all, this was the only data they got to. What have you done to remediate it and eliminate this issue going forward? You know, did you notify your investors or to go out in a quarterly letter? Like, like to, to your point, Eric, right. like that's really the follow-up. Like if you're going to create accountability, like that's the yeah. follow-up like that, that you need. And I'm not sure that they're staffed up to do that. Well, at, as a consumer, what do you moment. do? I mean, so. let's take Equifax for a second, right? Stocks back up after a massive, massive breach. As a consumer, you don't even get to choose. Well, I, I guess you can sign up for credit reporting and a few other things with them, but but they're doing credit reporting on on you. Period. Right. Like, what yep. are you going to do? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Whether yeah. you want You're to like it or not, there's no opt in. Yeah, so right? if, <laughs> like they had yeah. your information. If You're not happy with you Equifax. Them to, yeah. yeah. Too bad. You're stuck. Right. I, I guess you can change financial institutions. You can yeah. change where you put your money, your investments. But, but there is a whole, uh, a whole tangled web here. What about third parties that they work with that may have breaches? I, I just don't know that the average consumer of financial services really has the the ability or wherewithal to yeah. make educated decisions. I can tell you, I don't, right? Right. I mean, some some third-party organization gets breached. Well, they disclose it. I don't even know who they're working with. They could be working with my bank. And, and, and if they are, what do I do? And do I really want to take the time to switch my payroll over, create new right. accounts? Not in, that, not in that order, of course. But mm-hmm. So yeah. we'll see. I, now, that being said, I think – I think disclosure, I think understanding the risk, I think managing this is critically important. It, it is, in my opinion, the most critical of critical infrastructure sectors. We have to protect right. it. Great step. Yeah. 
You know, look, I think it goes back to like the, you know, 2009, like the too big to fail. I think there, there's some organizations like as much as I was, I was very frustrated with the Equifax breach just because look, as a technologist, you're like, look, this violates every best practice in the book, but also like as a consumer, Mm -hmm. I never asked you to have my data. The reality is like, you can't buy a car, you can't get a credit card, right? Or even open up a, a cell phone account without one of those or all three of those having your information, right? So they're almost too big to fail and they need to be held to like a different standard, right? So, you know, they're, they're such a linchpin to, you know, and they should be fined heavily, Mm -hmm. right? When, when there is an issue, right? And, you know, I think that that change is still yet to come, um, but that needs to be the next level of change, Mm -hmm. you know, within the financial markets. So, so let's turn to current state of events. Right. We, we've got the Russians invaded Ukraine. We have a lot going on. How are your clients thinking about the elevated risk level and what are they doing about it? Or do they not see an elevated risk? Well, I think everyone sees an elevated risk. I mean, we see data to kind of prove that mm-hmm. that there's an elevated risk. I think there were some there's somewhere they're like, OK, like I need to now really kind of hunker down. Um, and I might have been, you know, relying on, you know, just, you know, a basic like cyber program, but I need to understand if I have gaps, like where are their holes? Like, what does this mean for me? Right. So I hear all of this, like, you know, I read the paper and I, I listen to the news and there's all this increased cyber activity. But what does that mean to my organization? Because I'm small, like who's really going to want to come after me? That's a line you hear a lot of. Um, and that's one where I tell people like every organization, like if you think about it, there's a grandma and grandpa, like in, in the Midwest that gets, you know, hacked. Like, why do you think your like $2 billion asset management firm is not, you know, a threat? Of course you're at risk more so than most. And I think firms are now, so, so there's that group of people that like, okay, like maybe I need to beef things up. What can I do to close the gaps? Mm-hmm. Others really want to understand the risks to, to their organization, um, and then I think others are, are really kind of being a little more, you know, proactive, right. And maybe have taken a kind of stronger stance. Maybe they had an override group for MFA. They were like, okay, forget about that. We're not doing anything like that anymore. No more override groups for multi-factor. And they're really kind of tightening their, their belt. Right. Um, but I think everyone is a little on edge and everyone wants intelligence, right? So like what's going on, how is it impacting me? Um, and what can I do to kind of close the gaps? Mm-hmm. Makes sense. Yeah. Makes sense. Absolutely. Can I ask? Man. Go ahead, Rick. And, and I think, you know, no, I, I was just going to say, you know, indirectly now with, with a lot of this new malware packages out there, there's so much like the threat landscape is always rich, right? There's always a number of things that you got to be worried about and prevent, you know, and now, you know, the Russians released, you know, several new malware packages, mm-hmm. which are just, you know, complex packages that are being kind of repurposed now by threat actors around mm-hmm. the world, whether it be nation states or gangs. And it's just kind of it's taken something that was already at like a nine point five mm-hmm. and it's like just put it at a ten. Right. The risk level now is is I, I don't think it can get any always higher. get higher. I hope I'm wrong. <laughs> I hope I'm wrong. <laughs> could always get higher, but like I, I don't think there's any more. I don't, I don't think there's yeah. any more right. attention that right. that you can now give it, right? Like, I think that like it's it's there now. Like, and if you haven't decided to to strengthen things, then you're yeah, you're kind of misreading. Rachel, the market. you were going to ask so. a question. 
Well, it, it is kind of tangential. You know, I, I keep coming back to cryptocurrency, right? And, and kind of cryptocurrency versus, I guess, what, you know, tra traditional, you know, financial paper money or whatever. And is, is there a role in that here? Does that potentially offer a more secure pathway for protecting assets? I'm clearly, I don't, I'm not a crypto expert. I don't know. But, you know, when we start looking at, you know, how do you diversify, right, uh, protecting your assets, is, is there, is that something that's going to be a play here? coming up or what do you, what's your point of view on that, Rich? I mean, I think there's, there's some really great concepts that crypto has kind of brought to the table. Um, there's also a lot of kind of, you know, ambiguity that right. surrounds the crypto markets. Um, and I mean, essentially it's not really backed right. by anything. It's a buyer and a seller, right? I can, I can only sell it because someone else wants to buy it. Right. And, if one day there was no one who wanted to buy it, then like I wouldn't be able to sell it, right? So there's that kind of concept, which I think makes people feel like a little un uneasy. But the technology behind it, you know, the kind of, you know, the open ledgers and, you know, blockchain, that type of thing, I think really forced some financial companies to kind of reassess, like, you know, encrypting data at rest, right. but what do I do with my keys, right? Where do I store them? Who has access to them? Like, you know, a lot of third parties now are kind of focused on, look, they haven't, blockchain is a little too slow, I think, to kind of, you know, be pervasive in, mm -hmm. in the overall financial system, just because like, look, transactions happen, like you, you go to the store now and you go to Starbucks, like you get that yep. approved notification right. back within seconds, right? And, you know, in the U.S., I think a lot of the, you know, merchants and others are really worried about adopting increased technology because right. it's going to slow things down, right? You can be like, ah, I can't, I can't go to Starbucks anymore. Like, it takes too long to, <laughs> it takes four seconds instead of two to get, to get it, right? And they're, they're worried that, like, that overall experience mm -hmm. is just going to be kind of too slow. But I think they are kind of, it has driven a little bit of change and kind of rethinking the way that, you know, data is stored and, you know, how data is transmitted, how data, how data is encrypted. Um, but, you know, crypto, I think, you know, certainly has a, has a place um, yeah. in, in the economy and it's here to stay. And I think the underlying technology is, is very elegant in the way that they've kind of you thought know, that's, about that's it. That's a good point so. though. It does change the, the target set you know, with your keys for crypto. I mean, I, I protect my cryptocurrency keys. You know, they're, they're, they're written down in, in a safe. I've got them digitally, but I, I protect them. They're offline. Right. But if, if, if something mm. happened to me, I don't think there's a member of my family who could figure them out and what to do with them. At the, right. at the financial level, like just pick any type <laughs> yeah. of financial institution you, you've got to make them accessible so people can 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 leverage and trade. Right. But at the same time, that seems like a really sweet. I mean, imagine somebody yeah. coming in with a with a wiper and wiping all your keys. That's a bad day. Or ransomware, right? <laughs> same thing. Ransomware. Uh, hey, right. we've got all your keys. Yeah. Good luck. Have a nice day. Yeah. Like it's a different risk equation. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's why a lot of the yeah. There's there's a lot of frameworks out there now for firms that that are trading crypto like mm -hmm. hot versus cold storage. What like what do you keep hot? What do you keep offline? Air gapped? Like how do you you how do you kind mm -hmm. of even keep the cold? Like where do you put it? Like you know I run across clients every now and then are mm -hmm. still doing like tape backups, right? I'm like ah like I do you need to be doing that, right? You could back up 
to the cloud, right? Very kind of you know, easy to do. But we've been trying to right. move people away from all this on-prem solutions, right? Having right. servers in in a closet, <laughs> right? And worrying about the air conditioner and all right, everything is in the cloud, right? With you know, connectivity out. On the flip side, crypto, which is probably the most kind of advanced concept in like digital and, and digital currency, to really keep it safe, we got to put exactly. it someplace physical. It, it is a little bizarre. On the internet, right? it's, there's <laughs> yeah, a lot I, of irony in that, and- right? Yeah, you know, I've got keys stored physically. Yeah, like hardware. Do we call them tokens or keys? I can't remember even. I haven't looked at them in probably five years, but they're stored. Yeah. Uh, well, they're cash, right? Whoever right. has them, it's it's like a bearer bond, right? Whoever has them is the owner. Right? There's, you know, and then look, there's a lot of custody platforms that are out there now to help kind of you know keep track of the keys. Because look, people who are investing in you know those those right. funds need some assurance like that, like where are the keys being held, right? Like similar to what you need when, you know, you trade a stock, right? Like you have a custodian, right? There's brokers who are transferring assets, settling trades. Well, in the crypto right. space, you need that same concept, right? Because right. I need to feel comfortable as an investor that like, you know, my my security, mm-hmm. right, is- What's old is, is new again, someone. Rachel. You have yep. to know which walls uh-huh. the cash is in. Exactly. It's not in all of them. Is it in the kitchen wall or the, you know, the upstairs bathroom wall? Same thing with the crypto okay. keys. Yeah. You could put it on a thumb drive, <laughs> much easier to hide. <laughs> What's all this new? To lose. Much easier to lose, right? Right. Yeah. I don't know. I'm, I'm really fascinated by crypto and uh, I, haven't du- I haven't dipped my toe in that water yet, but uh, yeah, I just... Uh, Keep thinking about it more and more, especially when you can go on PayPal and pay people in crypto. So convenient. Yeah. Yeah, that was a big, that that was big when PayPal kind of allowed that integration, right? That that really kind of legitimized yeah. the, yeah, the currency. It, it absolutely does. It's, it's so unstable, though. It bounces so much. You know, you struggle timing. I, I've I bought a few things yeah. just in testing, and it's like, uh, this is too much work for me. <laughs> so, so Rich, I want I want to go back though. Four days to disclose is what we're looking at at this point. Um, what about detection? Are there, are there any numbers or around? Because disclosure is one thing, and I understand the risk aversion to hey, let me tell the government what I know. It's not enough. I want to give them the whole picture, and before I tell them anything, I want to understand the picture. We may not have that in four days, but what about time to detection? Are there any metrics around that? You know, when you're working with financial, go ahead. There's no, I, I was just, when you're working oh, with ahead, financial sorry. organizations, how do they think about that? I think most companies now like see it as real time, right? You need a managed right? detection and response platform. And I think when you look at the SEC proposal, like they call it out, like pretty kind of, you know, clearly in there that if you're not running like a platform, well, basically they, they don't say you should be running a platform but they call out that you need that functionality. So essentially like yep. they're calling out the technology, right? That, that you need that. You also, they also want to see that you're keeping log history. So I think most firms are really running some sort of MDR solution to be able to aggregate data, analyze all the devices and traffic going across the network real time, uh, correlate that to threat feeds, you know, known um, you know, areas of compromise, indicators of compromise, um, alert, immediately and then have 
you know, eyes on glass 24 7, 365 that are looking for those alerts. And they have a customized run book. And when they get it, they know exactly what to do. Is it isolate the computer? Is it shut the port down? Like notify, you know, the networking group, like whatever it might be. But I see that that has been really a big shift where that kind of framework, maybe back in like, you know, 2014, right. well, exactly. it was really unheard of. Right. And I think you start seeing it more, you start seeing it more in 15, 16 by 18, it became popular. And now if you don't have it and you're a financial service mm-hmm. company, you're going to be lagging behind um, and you're going to be out of regulation. So I think firms really see the value in that. Um, and that's really where you could leverage third parties as well, especially for smaller companies where like hiring a 24 seven, 365 like team to be able to manage and monitor, manage mm-hmm. alerts is hard, now, even for large companies. And I can tell you, having run enterprise technology for a number of years, these things never happen <laughs> at Monday at 12 o'clock. Right? They happen on Saturday, <laughs> three o'clock in the morning, you're on vacation, like, you know, like you're, you're, you've turned off your phone, the charger's not available, whatever it is, it always happens. It's always. the perfect storm. It always happens. I've had issues on, you know, Christmas Eve when power is lost and like, you know, there's, there's always like these things happen when, um, you know, when you're not expecting it. So if you don't have that, you know, framework in place, it doesn't matter that you detected the issue. If you can't respond and remediate quickly, it's, it's, it's kind of useless. So I think firms are starting to see the, the value of that. And also too, I think, you know, you want your um, security team to focus more on like the business risks, right. And kind of, you know, managing that risk and less around like staring at a computer all day, like waiting for alerts to come through. Um, and I think that's the other reason they've really embraced some of these. I, I hope of it's changing because I still see in the industry and, and, and I have a lot of uh, coworkers and friends who say the same thing. People are still buying technology. You know, automation is still hard to get across to people in the SOC or, or the mm-hmm. lower and mid-level early, more early in their career people who, who feel they have to put their hands on every single event. They have to be involved mm-hmm. and see every single event. And it's just not fathomable in 2022 mm-hmm. anymore. So I hope that is changing. No, it's not. It's not in, yeah. I mean, I, I think, look, if you build really good run books, you know, you can kind of, you know, really handle a lot of things in an automated way. Like, look, every phishing email that someone reports, right? There's a standard process you follow to do that. Like similar to what you were saying, Eric, you could automate that, right? So now when that phishing email comes in, someone forwards it to the security team, it's picked up by a process, they run it through, you know, the various kind of workflow. And then if something kicks out, right, it gets, you know, escalated to the SOC. Otherwise, a response goes back to the person. Thank you for reporting this. Mm -hmm. You know, it was just spam versus like having someone sit at a desk looking at a hundred of these a day, like that gets really boring and no one wants to do that. Right. Um, and it, it just doesn't scale well because the volume right. they only don't want increases, to do it, it but they almost down. do. So. I mean, they really, we run into, yeah. and, and I yeah. do a lot of work on the government side, but we really run into a no. ton of resistance around automation. Mm. And it, it's, it's funny. We don't get a lot. You don't wow. have a lot of yeah. clients who talk in the terms of risk, risk management, understanding of risk. But they do want to put their hands on everything. They don't think about automation almost from a risk perspective. 
if I didn't touch it and something happens, I'm responsible. Mm-hmm. And I want to change that conversation to what do you need to protect and how are you spending your time and resources protecting your most critical assets? They want to touch everything, but it, it's almost risk from their career perspective. If I'm not on it, oh, we could have a problem. Right. It's it's bizarre as you watch it in action. And, and like I said, yeah. I'm not in the financial services business. I can't speak to that. But on the government side, there is a resistance there. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's always a little resistance to automation. Like I see, I also work on the digital side where we do a lot of workflow automation and there's a lot right. of kind of pushback in the beginning around it. Like, you know, oh, there's no way that, you, you know, exactly. you, you could do that. Right. I own this. Right. I'm responsible for that report going out. I'm not going to, I'm not going to rely on a, you know, you to kind of load this information and run it and process it. And then, you know, we always try and strike a balance. We say like, look, you could, we'll, we'll finalize the right. information. You approve it before it goes out. So it doesn't go straight out. So you still have some control, but even then, you right. know, they're still, you know, skeptical. Right. And it's Okay. So it's as hard. we're wrapping up, Change I have, I have one last question, one last question or comment for you. I mean, we're focusing a lot on Russia right now based on the world events. Are you advising and how are your thinking, how are your clients thinking about China, Iran, and the others who I personally believe have an, an amazing amount of uh, incentive to operate, to operate in this challenge space right now, right? All eyes are on Russia and the Ukraine, um, but we, are, we, we do see reconnaissance and, and activity around China, Iran, and some of the others at this point, or, you know. Are your clients thinking about that or it's just bring it on? We'll take on anybody. No, I mean, look, I, I think that they, they're they aware that the overall threat landscape has increased, not just because of, of Russia, but, you know, everyone else sees this as an opportunity to kind of you know get a little more active. You know, maybe firms are distracted, hyper-focused on Russia, especially the government, United States government. Um, is this an opportunity for us to kind of, you right. know, fly under the radar, right? And, you know, while everyone's looking at Russia, like we can kind of, you know, you know come in on, on the side. So I think like people are just, in, you know, right. generally, you know, a little pensive about, you know, everything right now, you know, in, in the marketplace, just, you know, given the risks that, that it represents. As, as we were talking about, as soon as the, the Russians kind of released Wiper, there was variants out, like I think already mm-hmm. used, you know, being used by other nation states, like the next day, mm-hmm. next two days, so they're they're also leveraging like oh okay thanks for sharing this you know zero day vulnerability with us like we'll take it from oh, here. Oh, so accommodating you know. the industry. Yeah, you know, so it's uh, that's right. It's all about sharing. Yes, sharing. yes, yeah. very friendly, very friendly. Industry. Yeah. <laughs> okay, well that that's good news at least. Yeah, definitely. From a defensive perspective, not the sharing. Oh. Well, Rich, thank you so much. I mean, this has been, I mean, we could keep talking about this all day. I mean, there's a lot, lot to unpack in the financial services world. So thank you for sharing your insights. This has been really, really great conversation. No, thanks for having me. I always, I love to talk kind of technology and security and, you know, bring my experiences to the table. So yeah, it was likewise, great to have the likewise. conversation. Rachel, today. you want to take us home? I sure will. Well, everyone, thanks again for joining us for yet another To The Point podcast. And again, don't forget, don't forget, don't forget.
smash that subscription button. I was trying to like get my uh, WWE in there. Smash it and you'll get a fresh episode every single Tuesday. I thought you were going to say, don't don't forget, (laughs) check the walls for cash. But until next week. (laughs) I'm going to do that after we hang out. Or USB drives. (laughs) Everybody stay safe. Thanks for joining us on the To The Point Cybersecurity Podcast, brought to you by Forcepoint. For more information and show notes from today's episode, please visit www.forcepoint.com slash govpodcast. And don't forget to subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts.